0: you. Mm-hmm. Family again. Uh, for those that may be joining us a little bit later, my name is Rob, and I serve as one of the pastors here. Again, welcome everybody in overflow, and those watching on the live streamer later on. Uh, we're in our last week in our series, Jesus in the Psalms, where we've been looking at uh, the Psalms in the Old Testament and um, really trying to find passages and examples. Of our Savior Jesus Christ and we know Jesus is the central theme of the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation all 66 books have markers that point to Jesus Christ and as we look a few millennia after the Bible was completed for us we look back sometimes at Genesis through Revelation and we see things and we find things and and it does affect our life but sometimes I think because we have been removed from when the Bible was written, sometimes it doesn't take the effect that it needs to when we read these passages. And so our our, our, our biggest fear is that the Bible becomes so commonplace to us that it just becomes like another book on the shelf. And, and that happens to a lot of us. And if you're honest, it's probably happened to everyone in this room that, you know, even in our daily Bible reading, it, even in our time of prayer, it becomes this this remote thing that we do and we just do it because that's what good Christians do and I've always done it this way and so we know that our day is better if we start it with God and we, and we get all that but I think we, we lose the significance of what the Bible says about us and our life and we lose the significance of who Jesus Christ actually is. Jesus has to be more than just the, the the soothing balm when things are going bad in your life. He has to be more than just the one that we pray to when we want to prosper. Jesus Christ is our Savior and our Lord. He is the Son of God. He's the one that rescued us. He's the one that saved us. He's the one that is the sustainer and the creator of everything. Jesus Christ is everything. And so as we've been looking at the Psalms, we've been looking at portions of Scripture to show him as as things like the Good Shepherd, like the victorious conqueror, the Messiah. But today we're going to focus in on one of the last things that the first portion of the Psalms talk about, and it's the Psalm previous from the one that we spoke about last week. So now we're going to look at Psalm 22, and we're going to talk about the atonement. So there's a story that, that's told. I don't, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a story that had that for all intents and purposes probably was true. It was back during the days of where they were building the the transcontinental railways and and railroads were were the the fastest way to get things from one part of the country to another. And after they started transporting things around the country, then then the idea of passenger trains caught on even more and we saw a lot of uh, people being transported from one part of the country to the other uh, with all the rail system that we have. And there's a story that's told about a... A man who was in charge, his, own, his, sole, his sole job was to change tracks for trains as they were coming. And the position that he had was over this, this huge ravine, and they built this, this bridge, and they built railroad tracks on this bridge. And his job was to change tracks. If he didn't change tracks before automation would happen, people would die if this guy didn't do his job. And so all he had to do was move a lever, and the track would change. And one day, um, his son uh, came to work with him, And uh, whatever happened, there was a a big mishap. And if he did a certain thing the way that he was supposed to do it, the train that was coming would wind up hitting the, the, the change of the tracks too early and it would derail. And while he's trying to figure this thing out, his son, he's a, he's a young kid. He's just looking all around, and all of a sudden he finds out, he sees that his son is not there, and he looks around for his son. And the reason why things weren't working was his son was playing with the wires, and things were not going to function the way they were. And for whatever reason, he had to make a choice. Either he was going to pull the lever, which would crush his son under the, the tra- track, or he would let this other train derail And everybody on the train would die. So this guy had this impossible decision to make, whether it was going to be his kid or the train. And the guy chose the train. He saw that the life of all this train was more valuable if he sacrificed his one kid. And as a parent, I don't know if I'd make that choice. I hope I'm never in that position. But I want you to think about this because we've looked at the Psalms, looking at the character and the nature of Jesus Christ. Today it's a little different because when we read Psalm 22, you're going to find out the mind and heart of God the Father and the mind and heart of God the Son while Jesus Christ is literally paying the price for our sin. God the Father thought we were valuable enough to him that he sacrificed his one son in order for us to be saved. And sometimes, that's why I say, I think we we, we take portions of Scripture and we just take them for granted and we say, yes, Jesus Christ died for my sin. That's the theological truth. And because Jesus died for my sin, I have this, 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 and this. And we don't pause. Jesus Christ died for my sin. The atonement... The sacrifice of Jesus and the implications that the Son of God died to pay the price for the things that, I, that I've said, the things that I've done, the things that I've thought should have a daily significance in the way that I live my life. That our relationship with God through Jesus Christ cost a great deal. For us, it's free, but it cost a great deal. And it's important for us to remember these these theological truths from a theological intellectual perspective, but if that intellectual perspective never becomes an internalized feeling that changes the way we move from this day forward, what good was it? So for some of us, I, I really want us, and it sounds so cliche, and I'm sure you've heard pastors say it over and over and over again, but here's the thing. Is Jesus Christ a head knowledge thing to you or is it a heart reality to you? Has the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus changed your life, your eternal destination, and the way that you live your life from the day you received Christ till now? Or is it just something that you heard, and it's like, well, yeah, that's good. I'll accept that. What does it mean that the Son of God died for our sins? So I want us to stand. We're going to look at Psalm Psalm 22. We're going to read the whole psalm, and then we're going to look into it. The Bible says, the Word of God says in Psalm 22, and we'll begin reading in verse 1, and we'll go down to the end of the chapter. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance, from my words of groaning, "'My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. "'By night, yet I have no rest. "'But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. "'Our fathers trusted in you. "'They trusted and you rescued them. "'They cried to you and were set free. "'They trusted you and were not disgraced. "'But I am a worm and not a man, "'scorned by mankind and despised by people.' Everyone who sees me mocks me, they sneer, they shake their heads. He relies on the Lord, let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him, since he takes pleasure in him. It was you who brought me out of the womb, making me secure at my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth, you have been my God from my mother's womb. Don't be far from me, because distress is near and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong ones of Bashan encircle me. They open their mouths against me, lions mauling and roaring. I am poured out like water. All my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers have closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments among themselves. They cast lots on my clothing. But you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength come quickly to help me. Rescue my life from the sword. Only my, oh, my only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. You answered me. I will will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, revere him, for he has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. I will give praise in the great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat And be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Even the one who cannot preserve his life. Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare what he has done. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks for standing. You can be seated. My God... My God, why have you despised me or why have you forsaken me? These these are words that are pretty familiar for those of us who have studied Scripture at all. Um, these words are the words that we know that were spoken by Jesus Christ right in the middle of his agonizing death on the cross. But but he isn't the first person to utter these words. A thousand years, a thousand years, a millennia before Jesus even hung on the cross, King David, David, the second king of Israel, he prayed these words. And when he prayed these words, he prays them, as we just read, as the opening line to Psalm 22. Uh, the, the commentator, Robert Goffrey, wrote this. He said, Said, these words were first uttered by David, and David was speaking for all of God's people. We need to reflect on these words and the whole psalm as they relate to Christ and to all his people in order to fully understand what they're saying. So, some of this psalm. Has to do with the life of King David and what he was experiencing, and what the nation of Israel was experiencing through, through through war, through strife, through through different things. But then there's also this prophetical view that we have to look at the future because we see that a lot of the things that were said in Psalm 22 will reflect about what's what's going to happen to Jesus Christ a thousand years later. What's going to happen to, to to the Messiah when he comes? And it should it should astound anyone when you read. The details that we see in Psalm 22 that in addition to being a prayer that David wrote a lot of Psalms, David wrote a lot of these songs that were prayers to God. This is one of those psalms that he wrote as a messianic prophecy of something that was going to happen in the future. And so when David, David writes this, I need you to remember something. When David writes the details that we get to look back 2,000 years later and go, yeah, that's when this happened to Jesus, and yeah, that's when his bones, yeah, that's when he was hung on the cross. When David wrote this, there was no such thing as the crucifixion. The crucifixion was a Roman way of dying and the Roman Empire wasn't even around yet. So we see that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that David wrote something that wasn't even invented yet. Which means that David didn't know fully understand what he was writing, but he was moved to write in this poetic way these things. He knew nothing about the crucifixion. So there was nothing, think about this, there was nothing that David had to reference about someone's hands and someone's feet from being pierced. Or hanging on the cross so dry that you're hungry and thirsty that you cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So this, this psalm has such specific messianic prophecy in it, and it happened a 1,000 years before the event takes place. This is important for several reasons, but the biggest thing that I want you to see this morning is not only is important for us to study the Word of God in its entirety, that we study the context of when it was written, we cross-reference other verses that, that we find have the same theme, that we, as the Bible says, that we preach and we study the entire counsel of God. I want you to be assured of something, that God's Word is true. And God's Word can be trusted because it's been not only perfectly preserved for us that the word of God matches up with itself this is something that you people especially liberal scholars try to question all the time whether the Bible makes sense the Bible has more science than some science textbooks have in it the Bible calls the world round in a sphere before even scientists thought that the Bible understands biology better than we do So when we look at Scripture, we don't look at it as just some good book that we maybe can trust. This this book matches up with itself. And David says something that hasn't even happened yet. Now, what's the other side of Messianic prophecy? Not just for us to go, wow, look, it all goes together. See, no, that's, that's not the point. I want you to think about when the prophecy was fulfilled, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, what was beneficial about Psalm 22? that those who lived during the life and times of Jesus Christ that experienced the moment, that may have have actually seen Jesus Christ carry his cross to Golgotha, or maybe those who saw him hung on the cross, they would also, the Jewish nation would also be reminded of Psalm 22, and this is where things started to click, of who Jesus Christ actually was. And I know that, that may not sound a lot to you, but you and I both know if we know Jesus Christ, there was a day when things started to click. And maybe something you heard in Sunday school as a little kid didn't mean that much, but then all of a sudden, something was said, and it just started to make sense. And that's when Jesus Christ quickened your soul and made you alive so that now, every time that spiritually you heard something, it was leading you to your relationship with Jesus. You did not get saved by accident. He moved through history. He made your spirit. He made your soul alive for you to remember the things that were in the word so that you would receive it as truth. He was doing this for the nation of Israel. And Psalm 22 is completed when Jesus Christ dies on the cross. So I want you to be encouraged about something. When you read your Bible, for some of us, we're just reading our Bibles for the first time and we're just getting into this Christianity thing and we're reading and we're not understanding everything and it doesn't make sense, I want you to keep going. Don't stop. You, you Ask questions. Pray. Talk to other believers. Why? Because your answers are coming. The Holy Spirit will teach you, don't quit. Don't quit. So thinking about David specifically. I want us to look at, before we look inside the scripture recognizing that David is speaking out of anguish. I want you to think about what David is going through. David has anguish in his own heart and he has this anguish a 1,000 years earlier, but think about how God has allowed even that feeling of loneliness, that feeling of of, of anxiety, that feeling of actual anguish to not only happen a 1,000 years before Jesus, Jesus experiences the same anguish and now we as believers now also have fellowship in that suffering as well that even the emotional ties that the Bible has to the writers are also translated through us to the Spirit, that we can feel what the writers are feeling because we have the same Lord and the same God. So when we're going through anguish, when we're going through anxiety, when we're going through fear, when we're going through trepidation, we can look at passages of Scripture that have have an extreme emotional tie, and we can also tie into this and see what God has for us. God not only wrote his word for you, he wrote it for you for you to be able to feel it as well. See, sometimes we 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 get so so scared about emotionalism when it comes to the word of God that and sometimes and sometimes it's really a cultural thing too that we we've been brought up to be stoic, right? We've been brought up to like take care of things on our own and not show emotion. The Bible should move you. The fact that Jesus Christ died for your sins should do something to you. For you to be saved and just go, well, praise the Lord. No, heck no. He died for your sins. If, you don't, if, that, doesn't, if, if that doesn't light your wood, your water, I mean, your wo- wood, the fire, water's wet, something like that. I've been, gone, I've been gone for Georgia too long now. Yeah. If it doesn't light your fire, then you got issues. Let me ask you this. Right now, if Jesus was to come, and I mean, so the person that we have the best example of this is is doubting Thomas, right? He's not there at the beginning. All these disciples come back, and they're like, Jesus Christ is alive. He's like, nah, ah, no, I don't believe it. He says, no, seriously, Jesus is alive. He goes, I I just don't get it. And then what does he say? Unless I do what? I have to see the physical evidence that this guy's hands were pierced. I have to see this dead guy that's alive. And Jesus shows up, and he goes, hey, touch it. I'm right here. It's really gross. But he says, hey, just, just put your hand right there, right? He says, and what happens is that, so imagine, what would happen if Jesus came right now and showed himself to you and said, look, I'm alive, I'm real. Would it actually move you? I don't know. Some of us, it may move us for a moment, and then like we talked about last week, Midwestern Ohio would kick in, we go, well, time for you to go, right? Is Jesus a visitor or is he he real to you? The, The significance of the emotional parts of Scripture, this, I think, Being top three of of Jesus actually sharing his heart and God sharing the heart of God of how he feels about his son being crucified should move us. That Jesus Christ voluntarily died for our sins. You know that, right? He could have called a thousand angels, he could have wiped out the Roman Empire. He could have taken his seat on the throne whenever he wanted to. But he was born to pay the price for my sin and for your sin. That should move you. So Jesus also knew Psalm 22. Duh, he wrote it, right? The spirit moved David to write it it was now something that he could reference when he was on the cross. So we see this connection with David and Jesus that I want us to see. But here's the last thing. We're going to get into it now. Psalm 22 isn't just about prophecy, about the physical agony, or about what David is going to go through. What Psalm 22 really is, as we get ready to read it, is an inward look for us to appreciate what Jesus Christ did for us. So, I'm praying the feelings that we have will be twofold. Number one, that we, like Philippians said, we talked about in Sunday school this morning, that we can know him by taking part and having fellowship in his sufferings. Right, that we can see what Jesus Christ did for us and it would affect us, right? But the second thing I want us to do, hopefully you have feelings of thankfulness and gratefulness for what the Messiah did, okay? So I want you to think about it in an emotional sense. I want, I want, it, I want it to grasp you, but I also want you to leave realizing your sins have been forgiven, that's, that's how this all plays out. He died for our sins, but because he died for our sins, you and I have forgiveness. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from deliverance and from my words of groaning? So we know actually in the, in the timeline when this takes place, Jesus uh, is on the cross and this is towards the end when, when he is uh, going to physically die. And we know just looking at scripture and comparing passages with passages, this is around the exact moment that Jesus Christ would pay the price for our sin. Which, which means more than Jesus just saying, hey, here's my blood, it's worthy of it. The Bible says that Jesus Christ literally became sin for us. Now, if that means that the father completely like turned his back on the son and didn't look at him, if it means that there was a rupture in the Trinity, I don't think the Bible says that there was ever a rupture in the Trinity But there was a moment where there was a fellowship broken between God the Father and God the Son because he cries out, God, where are you? Remember, I want you to think about now the history of this. Every moment of Jesus' life has been when he's been on earth. Before he was on earth, he was in communion with the Father. He spoke to him constantly. He spoke to him day and night. When he was tired, he spoke to him. When he woke up, he spoke to him. When he was healing somebody, when Jesus healed, he still spoke to his Father. The first time in eternal history he can't find his father. He cries out, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left? Have you been there? Have you ever been to the place where You just can't find God. Have you? I'm talking about those of us who know Jesus. Have you ever been to that point that you just can't find him? You don't know where it is, whether because of some things that you've done in your life or whatever the situation is, you you can't find him. Has anyone ever been lost as a kid? Lost mom and dad for a minute? I remember... The one time we were in this store, I don't even know if they, if they had these back in the day in Ohio. They may have a store called Alexander's. It was a, it was a department store, right? Uh, it was before Macy's. The closest thing to it would be Kohl's, okay? And so we're in, we're in Alexander's, and my dad told me, stay away from the escalator. Stay away from the escalator. But you know, Pastor Rob, you say, don't do something. What do I do? I mean, don't touch, don't touch that button. Which one? This one? That's me. So he says, don't go near the escalator, and I go near the escalator, and I'm heading down, and my dad's still up there, and my dad, the great teacher that he was, just goes, bye. And I'm going down, and I'm just looking. I can't. I see a little bit of my dad, and then I can't see him anymore. But my mom, who I think loves me more than my dad, <laughs> or already made it down the other way to meet me at the, at the bottom end, Right? That moment of, of being lost is nothing compared to not knowing where your where your God and savior is. On the other hand, uh we were I don't want to say that. Is Becky here? Is she making cookies? Good. Because if I even say the word Philly, she's gonna go, Whoa, Phillies, because Philadelphia, for the first time in history, is doing something good with sports. But um so like so. We were at a Phillies game. I did take a shower afterwards, right? Um, and I, and I, we were at the game, and it was, it was a few years ago. My kids were real young. It was the game that they were going to clinch a spot in the playoffs. And the crowd was going crazy. The, the stadium was packed, and we get to the stadium. Becky's dad bought us tickets. And David, who is Robert 2.0, you tell him, don't do something, David does that thing, right? And so we say, David, stick with us. Guess what David does? Pewm, right? And for like five minutes, we didn't know where David was in this crowd. Parents, have you ever had, experienced that, not knowing where your kid is for five minutes? Oh, that is, that is scarier than William running out to the playground, right? I mean, this is like, I mean, we know where William is. William knows where he is. We may not know. William always knows where he is, right? Dave has no clue where he was. Right, and and there was a nice, good Samaritan that like brought him back to us, and we were we were together again. But that moment of not having an idea where David was, I want you to think about how the father felt, knowing full well where his son was, but still turned his back on him. He never left, right? There's never been a a rupture in the Trinity. But he turned his back on his son in order for us, for something really big to be accomplished, that Jesus, sinless, son of God, 100% man and 100% God, would literally, the Bible says, and theologically, I don't know exactly how this worked, he became literal sin for me and you. So everything you've done in the past, everything you did this morning, everything that you'll do this afternoon and tomorrow, all of those sins literally were put on Jesus. Every one of us. The only thing that it could be described scripturally is that it was sin and God couldn't look at it. In order for everything that we've done to be imputed on him, our debt, our filth, our thoughts, everything on him. So Jesus cries out, God, God, where are you? Father, where are you? And the father's just not looking, going, hold on, son. That's what the atonement is. The atonement is, is literally at one Jesus paying the price so that God, Jesus paid the price so that God never has to turn his back on us. That one time in human history where God the Father doesn't see his son is what gives us the ability to cry out, Abba, Father, every time. We never have to wonder whether God the Father hears us, he's there, whether he are working on our behalf, he's always there because Jesus paid the price. So when we hear, when we hear, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It should do something to us. It should move us. Because Jesus is what gives us the ability to have eternal life and forgiveness of sins. Psalm 22 is a big deal. He says, why are you so far from my deliverance, from my words of groaning? Remember, God, God's not even listening to him right now. He's, he's muting him out. My God, I cry by day, but you don't answer. By night, I have no rest. But, and this is where you see now, Even David and obviously Jesus recognize there is a purpose to this suffering. He says, you're holy. And one of the things that we have to recognize when we're approaching God, whether we agree with what he's doing or not, or whether we're in the moment of chastening, or whether God is trying to mold us and refine us and to remove all the dross, always realize God is holy and we may not be. Our actions, if there's someone that's wrong, it's going to be us, not God. So the Son of God tells the Father. David tells his God, you're holy. Enthroned on the praises of Israel, that you've been the one over this nation. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you rescued them. They cried to you you and they were set free. They trusted in you and they were not disgraced. So even in the moments of, of, of tremendous suffering... Even in the moments of Jesus saying, my God, my God, where are you? Why does he cry out to his father? Because his father has always been there. Why does David cry out? Because his God has always been there working on behalf of him and his nation. Sometimes we take for granted the everlasting presence of our God. Sometimes it's an afterthought. Sometimes it's not even a thought. And sometimes the only thing that causes us to recognize that God was there is when he chastens us for doing things in his sight. Sometimes God has to remind us, I'm real. And I'm the one in charge. So even in suffering, the correct response for a believer is to recognize that God is sovereign. And then he goes back in verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Everyone who sees me, mocks me. They sneer, they shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him So since he takes pleasure in him. Now for David, we don't know exactly what part of his life where it's not written down that everybody was mocking David. But there, there was a moment in his life that even as as the leader, even as king, he felt as if the entire world was mocking him because of his lack of communion with God. That the lack of having a communication with God caused him to feel as if the world has turned against him. Now I want you to think about how Jesus felt on the cross, and this how this is another fulfillment of prophecy. The Bible calls out throughout every gospel that he was despised that he was rejected that people mocked him when he was on the cross people sneered at him and and someone even said the centurion said people said the religious leader said hey he trusted in God let God save him while he was on the cross Jesus was rejected for our good But even in that, again, verse 9, he remembers who God is. It was you who brought me out of the womb, making me secure at my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. So again, suffering brings us back to the creator God. The proper response for suffering is for us to remember that God is sovereign. That even though, God, I, I, I can't hear you, I don't know where you are right now, but I know who you are. I know who you are. So he calls out again, don't be far from me in verse 11, because distress is near and there's no one to help. And then he said it gets worse. Bulls surround him. They open their mouths. There's mauling. There's roaring. There's there's these lions. And and, and these are. A direct reference, usually when we're talking about the, the lion, if we're not talking about the lion of Judah, talking about Jesus, the lions sometimes represent demonic forces. How these are not just like dogs and lions, these strong animals are the ones that come, that come at us. And for Jesus, he's, he's, being a, he's become sin. So what's the, what, is the, what is the penalty for becoming sin? The presence of demonic forces trying to, to take him out and snuff him out. It's not going to happen, but Jesus Christ, remember, Jesus Christ feels the torment of what hell will be like for us. Everyone's against him in the world, and also everyone wants to devour him in in, in spiritual planes. Then, verse 14, now, this is what literally comes back to what happens. Uh, with Him on the cross. He's poured out like water, so He's dehydrated. All my bones are disjointed. The Hanging on the cross, disjointed everything. My heart is like wax melting within me. He's heated up with the sun. He's, he's dried up. He's like baked clay. My my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of death. Jesus knew not only that He was going to die, but that He was going to suffer. Now, to, to say it, and, and not to disrespect what happened at all, Jesus Christ didn't die of a quick gunshot wound. He was tortured. He was beaten. And when he was hung on the cross, it wasn't over. What happens to a human body on a cross is exactly what you would think it is, torture. It's not an immediate death. People last for days. The crowd mocking and screaming and him just just feeling, him hearing that and also feeling himself die slowly. All of these things happened for our benefit. Dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers have closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count my bones. He was he was malnourished. People look and stare. They divided my garments among themselves, and they cast lots for my clothing. That's never happened to David, but he wrote it down in the psalm, and that, that that's exactly what happened to Jesus. They took his clothes, and, and and they took it for for prizes, for 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 having some 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 uh, just a, a reminder of what they just experienced. In verse nineteen, but you Lord, don't be far away again. The sovereignty of God. I come quickly, my strength. Rescue my life from the sword. My only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. The end of verse 21 says, you answered me. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. So we know, spoiler alert, Jesus Christ died. So was he saved from the sword? How How can we say that God answers us if the answer is death? This is the whole point of Jesus Christ. God being able to answer into the affirmative of our salvation was because He answered to the affirmative of Jesus Christ dying for our sins. Jesus Christ dying and then proclaiming at the end of verse verse 21, victory is because we know the rest of the story. Jesus Christ dying for our sins and then rising again on the third day in the resurrection proved everything that Jesus Christ said he would do was done. Every promise he made... Everything he said about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, everything that he said was going to happen to him, everything about salvation, everything about forgiveness of sins, everything about the penalty of sin, everything was wrapped up as an affirmative yes when Jesus Christ rose again from the grave. And when he did that, he sealed something for us. And here's what he did. For those of you who may not have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ let me explain what's happening in your heart right now as God is tugging at it you're like you're like this i've heard this stuff before or I may have never heard this before but something something's kind of speaking to me I want you to listen to what God's telling you right now he's saying that every single one of us has been born into the same family of Adam and Eve. We've all sinned. We've all felt things, said things, done things that are wrong. And because of that, when we pass from this earth, we can't stand before God. Remember how God couldn't even look at his son because of sin? God can't look at us because of our sinful nature and everything that we've done, right? So if we were to die right now on our own merits... There would be a bunch of books written down about all the things that we've done in our life, all the things good and bad. And the first bad thing that we've done, that's what God's going to go on because one thing affects all of it. And we would wind up in hell if we, went, if we died right now on our own. So that tugging on your heart right now is wanting you to listen to what actually God did for you. When God sent his son, Jesus Christ, God the son, came down to earth, lived a perfect life for 33 and a half years, was tortured like we talked about, beaten like we talked about, and died like we talked about, he did it to pay the price so that you could stand before God and God go, why should I let you into heaven? Why shouldn't you go to hell? Because Jesus Christ died for me. So this this death, this blood, this death, that, this blood that Jesus spilt can be for you. And that's what the atonement is. God, that puts us and God together because Jesus Christ paid the price for us to be together. So when Jesus Christ rose from the grave, he's proving a few things. He's proving that not only does he have the ability to pay the price for sin... He has the ability to give us eternal life because he defeated two big things. The two biggest problems in our life is sin and death, and Jesus conquered both of them. So if you're here and you go, man, I I, I know I've sinned. I mean, I do stuff wrong all the time. If you want forgiveness of sins and you want to have a, a very sure answer that when you die, you can meet God and have Jesus' death applied to your account so you don't have to go through all the things that you've done. You'll just have to rely on Jesus's blood. You can actually call on Jesus right now to be your savior. And it's literally, it's just like anything else you would do with God, you would pray. And you would talk to God and you would let him know that you are a sinner and that you don't want to leave this earth without having Jesus Christ's blood applied to your account, that you want to take advantage of that, that, that atonement And you want to receive Jesus as your Savior? I'm going to invite you to do that right now.